Thank you for listening to the Ace Jewelers podcast. This is an exclusive audio-only episode of the podcast series The Art of Collecting Wristwatches by Ace Jewelers. In this series, we interview wristwatch collectors all over the world. We want to know what makes them tick. Ruben, good to see you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, my honor, Ruben. Um, I'm very happy you... Uh were able to come physically and sit opposite me because that's the best conversations you can have instead of a screen uh, in between and this is in between. Yeah, I'm happy I live so close to you. That's uh, awesome. We know each other from Red Bar Crew Amsterdam. Um, you are young. Yes. Not the youngest collector today in the Netherlands, but you've been collecting quite some time. Um, for our listeners who, wants, uh, who want to check what Ruben collects, you can find him on Instagram, which is a rather tricky handle, which is Scrubsaurus Rex. Well done. Which I spell as S-C-R-U-B-S-A-U-R-U-S-R-E-X. And he has a backup account, which is watch underscore dino. Um, Ruben, you actually have a very interesting journey. Because if people that are listening read the intro text, they saw the number of 80. So I want to run through your evolution as a watch collector. So I'll just dive in immediately if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. Um, how did you get into watches? Uh, well, I've always been aware of them, but uh, the first time I consciously wanted one was around my 15th. And then for my 16th birthday, my parents gifted me a Seiko 5. Mm -hmm. And from then on, I started researching the watch and I decided uh, that I wanted more because I figured out what the purpose was of Seiko 5, uh, what the field watch was used for, and my model was a field watch. So then I sort of dove into this uh, hole of military watches and I got obsessed. Uh, after that, I started really kind of hoarding for one or two years. I uh, ended up owning around 40 Seiko Citizens Casios because if I saw something that I liked and if I could afford it, I would buy it. Um, then I, um, I got an Instagram account and I saw all the amazing watches that people had and I just had a drawer full of them. And I figured that if I sold a few of them, then I could upgrade. And that's when the bug really bit me. And I sold everything I had except for my first watch. And I started getting into a bit more high end. Uh, then I bought my first luxury watch, was, which was a Zin. Mm -hmm. um, then you always hear people saying, never sell your first luxury watch or your first real watch. But uh, after a few months, I was sort of done with it. And I ended up selling it anyway. And from then on, I really started this pattern of um, buying a watch, experiencing it, and then selling it on when I was ready to try something new. So it took me two to three years to figure out that I care more about the experience than about the ownership. And now whenever I see something and it's, if it's possible for me to get it by selling one of my current watches, then I get it. Mm -hmm. So a few questions. May I mention your age? Yes. 
So if you were 16, 15 when you got into it, so you're actually only five, six years into watches. Uh, you're 22 yes. now. Yeah, six to seven years. Six yeah. to seven years now, going on seven. So it's not that long. No, but, <laughs> but okay, for your age, it's quite some time. Um, another question comes to mind. Do you enjoy the selling? The buying and selling part? Uh, no, I it, really despise the selling. You despise it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's really a necessary evil. It's, it's a means to an end for you. Yes, because um, the watches that I tend to gravitate towards aren't really the watches that the general public likes. Yeah. Because I really enjoy talking about a watch, explaining to people what watches are about. Yeah. On Instagram, I also like advising people on uh, the watches that I own, how I got them and how they could possibly get them. Yeah. I really like that aspect of it. Yeah. But with the watches that I collect, they're practically impossible to sell sometimes. Yeah. So Because you're very much into the niche, right? Yeah. You like independence, you like the... the I, I wouldn't call the odd ones out, but uh, yeah, you don't want mainstream. I like to think of them as underdogs. Yeah, yeah you don't want mainstream. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I collect it, but it's not uh, what stays with me. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so what is it that attracts you to watches? So you told us why you got into it, but if we dive deeper. Uh, well... I've always been a bit of a tech head. Uh, before watches, it was building computers. Mm -hmm. And uh, once I started reading up on how a watch works, uh, the mechanics really fascinate me. Mm -hmm. um, then I, right now, I really like the design aspect the most. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm also very sensitive to a good story that comes mm -hmm. with a watch. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the same with history, because it's part of the story. But... Um, yeah, with, it really depends on what I'm buying, because if I'm going mainstream, then I would say the story appeals to me the most. But if I'm going independent, then it's the design and the mechanics behind of um, the procedure. Interesting. I meant to ask also, um, after your first uh, answer, do you also collect other stuff or is it just watches? Uh, at first, I did use to collect other stuff. Um, for example, sneakers. Yeah. Uh, but... I think it's best if I stick to one expensive hobby at a time. I'm also into <laughs> photography, which is also way too expensive. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, right so, so you're you're prone to quality and collecting. Yes. Um, <laughs> as a sneakerhead myself, what's your favorite sneaker? Oh, it's been so long. I back when I was uh, still into it, it uh, I really liked Jordans. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I saw them on the wall when I came in. And I'm checking his shoes right now, guys. Oh, right now I'm wearing my work shoes. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, all right. So we'll, we'll go back to watches. So you already gave me an intro to my next question. Uh, my next question, uh, I tried to follow a format and I, I tried to keep a format in this show. Um, so my next question is what makes you tick regarding watches, design, history, movement, complication, a narrative? You, or, you already mentioned a few of them do you want to elaborate on this question or um yeah i well one of the things that isn't listed among uh, what possible answers could be is uh, the relationship with a brand for me okay interesting um because when i first got into it i was a young guy walking into jewelers and i wanted to try things on but obviously my age wasn't helping and I the atmosphere wasn't for me. Yeah. So um, I really gravitated towards buying secondhand and then really interacting with those people that I bought from, yeah. with which I still have lasting contacts. Yeah. But then when I started to get into independence, I really liked how informal the atmosphere was there. It 
didn't feel like a transaction. It was more like, this is a very nice person that I'm buying a watch from. Yeah. Rather than I want to buy a watch, so I have to be nice to this person. Yeah. So so it's it's actually almost, not almost, it is people's business for you. Yeah. The stories, the people behind it, the, the, the dealings. Yeah, and I consider the uh, the independent watches that I buy, I almost consider it like arts that you can wear. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So when collecting watches, do you have a particular focus? Do you have a theme or only new? Vintage, both? Um, I think I gravitate towards new. I've yeah. got one vintage watch, but yeah. the other vintage watches that I've had, they, they were all nightmares. It's uh, servicing old parts that you can't find. I uh, It's not for me. Yeah. Uh, I like I do like the hunt for a watch, but I don't like having to hunt to actually be able to service my watch. Yeah. Um, yeah, other than that, I would... No, I don't think so. I think I, I think that if I think about it, it's uh, you are hungry and want to experience a lot. Yes, but I feel like I'm finally starting to calm down a little bit. Okay. As of, as of May last year, that's um, the month that I bought my whole thing. Yeah, uh, that's when I really started to spell that for our listeners who don't know it because oh. it's, it's a it's a local hero and he's yes he he got international fame through revolution magazine because he did a collab with them yes so spell it please for our listeners h-o-l-t-h-i-n-r-i-c-h-s thank you should we briefly do a shout out to him because it's actually rather cool what he does what makes him stand out uh he 3d prints his cases yeah and at the moment you can also fully customize your dials because you have full control over the process of what the end result will look like yeah Interesting. And he uses high-end calibers. Yes. Yeah. What is the price range about? Uh, well, mine uh, at the time was still four to five thousand. Yeah. Uh, I think right now it's more towards seven. Interesting. Interesting. Um. So you already mentioned one in your collection, current collection. Would you like to share some watches in your collection? Why you got them? And why you will never let go of them? And would you? That's a, tri- <laughs> yeah. that's a very tricky one. Yeah, right now that's a very easy question to answer because I, uh, I've just sold the majority of my collection, so I have four watches right now. Yeah. Uh, other than the whole thing, I still have a Minase. Yeah. Um, that one is probably not gonna leave. I spent around six months researching it, so I'm fairly sure that it's gonna stay. Uh, you know I'm... this podcast is a timestamp, huh? Yes. <laughs> In a few years' time, during our next get together with the Red Bar Crew, we're going to re-listen to this episode. Yes. Oh, it's also horrible because I look back on my Instagram posts sometimes, and yeah. I see like uh, myself being just being so happy about a watch, and then I think back to how I ended up selling it a month later. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Uh, I also have an Enordain. That one is one of the watches that is just to try. Yeah. Um. It will also likely be leaving very soon. Okay. Um, then I still have a Fortis official Cosmonauts chronograph, the cool. original from uh, the 90s. Cool. So I get a lot of feedback from our listeners that they love the podcast. What they miss in the audio-only experience, which is this episode or this series, is they can't see the watches. That's why yes. I now reiterate the brand names and models. So the first one you mentioned is the Minase. Yes which is actually on your wrist and I'm looking at it. Yes. You know that's my favorite. Yeah. Um, spell it and tell us a bit more, more about the brand and why you got it and why you're not letting go of it. Yes. So 
M-I-N-A-S-E. Yeah. And uh, the reason I bought it is because this really appeals to the tech head in me because the watch consists of multiple layers that if you end up taking the screws on the back of the lugs, uh, you can essentially take apart the whole watch. Yeah. Uh, the dial is floating in the middle of the case. It's uh, attached in not really a square, but the shape is close to a square. It's mm -hmm. a bit more oval mm -hmm. and you can actually see through the sides of the watch. Yeah. And it's Japanese? Yes. Very high end? Yes. But the funny thing about the brand is that um, they don't really need to make watches to distinguish themselves because they are actually um, a polishing company. Yeah. They make they also do cases for Seiko, for yeah. example. Yeah. And uh, they just ended up making this watch as sort of a flex as to what they could do. And I yeah. really, really like that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, so if I'm not mistaken, Fratella also did a collab with them. Yes. Yeah, which... Uh... So we share that passion. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. And I love the Fumé Blue dial you have. Um, and the, although on this question, we're not talking about what you're letting go, but since it's a team with you, um, <laughs> let's talk about the other one that you just mentioned. Uh, spell it. Uh, the Anordain or the yeah. Fortis? No, the Anordain. Yeah, the Anordain, A-N-O-R. Oh, sorry. I just dropped something. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> A-N-O-R-D-I-N-A-I-N. -I -I and, and why are you quite sure you're letting that one go? Uh, because I bought it to experience the dial. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as I saw the case in real life, I knew that I didn't want to keep it because the case isn't up to par with how good their dials are. Yeah. And, and so can I assume you bought it? online without seeing it in real life before you purchased it? Uh, I saw it in real life. Oh, you beforehand. have? Yeah. yeah. But it's just the time... Yeah, it's just after having watch, it for a while. It didn't meet your expectations. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Fortis is going to stay? Yes. Why? That's the watch I've owned the longest. Why? Why? Um, when I was 18, I first came across it on Instagram. Yeah. And then I spent around two years looking for it. I would never come across one that was within uh, the EU. Yeah. So um, then by pure coincidence, I saw an ad being placed somewhere uh, within a minute of it being placed. So I just immediately responded with dibs. Yeah. I didn't even type a normal message to the guy. <laughs> and then <laughs> right after I said dibs, I ended up typing a normal message. <laughs> but I just wanted it so bad. I spent so much time looking for it. And now Funny. two years later, I'm still not, three years later by now even, I'm still not tired of it. Good, interesting. Um... Just a sidestep, what do you think of the new path Fortis took? Um, their new management? Yeah, it's a bit of a hard one for me because at first I uh, didn't like what they were doing, but I can also really appreciate and respect that uh, they're still trying to innovate yeah. because a lot of current brands, although I love them and I love what they do, they do st still sort of rely on models of the past, whereas they're sort of moving away from the past and really going in a new direction. Mm. So I respect it, even though I don't uh, always agree with the models that are mm -hmm. being brought out, but I can still really appreciate what they're doing. For you, especially for you, I made a bonus question. Yeah. <laughs> the watch you should have never let go of. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I have three that I can name. Yeah. Um, the thing with... Um, moving through mainstream so quickly is that I also had the mentality of 
if I want the watch again, I'll just buy it again. Yeah. One of the watches that I owned was a Rolex Explorer Polar. Yeah. Uh, I'm never gonna pay the amount of money that it's going for right now, especially yeah. not considering what I paid back then. Yeah. But there are times when I would like to have it again for yeah. a while. Yeah. Um, the Breitling Navi Timer 92. Yeah. Uh, that's actually my vintage nightmare, but I was such a huge fan of the Navi Timer because... The 92 is with a Valjou caliber. Uh, no, that's that's the one with the same caliber as the uh, Omega Reduced, when they're where they have the chronograph modules screwed on top of yeah, the yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, okay, okay. the regular one. So it's so it's a three six nine configuration yes. of the dial. Yeah, okay, all right. But it was forty millimeters then. Uh, thirty eight. Thirty eight. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I know which one. Yeah, that's a that's a nightmare when in maintenance. Yes, it's. I remember it as selling it as a kid. Um, okay, interesting. But you missed that one. Uh, yeah, because yeah, the Navi timer was always a bit of a grill for me, but after holding some modern ones, I yeah. wasn't blown away, and I don't like the size. Yeah. So, if, how big do you go in size? Uh, I don't really care about diameter. I care about lug to lug. Uh huh. And lug to lug, I would say I don't go over forty-eight to fifty. I get it. Okay, interesting. Okay, third one. Yeah. Uh. Well. I had a Breitling called Sky Racer. Yeah. Talking about luck to luck, but <laughs> that's got a luck to luck of 55, but the lugs uh, really bend down. Yeah. Um, and I originally bought that because I was wearing off these fancy watches in daily life, but to work, I would always wear a G Shock. Yeah. So I wanted to wear something fancy to work as well. Yeah. And uh, I got the Sky Racer. Sky Racer had a nice black bezel, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was all black. It was a cool watch. And From... a rubber strap? Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool watch. Yeah, and uh, I ended up selling that to, I think, to fund an Omega Seamaster that left a week later. <laughs> and then, similar to the Rolex Explorer, the prices on those just exploded as well. So I'm never going to spend that amount of money for it either. Interesting. And and it's all relative, guys, because the two indies that he bought are rather steep in price. So yeah. it's all relative. So it's interesting to see Ruben's journey. Um, for those that are listening and did not read the description, uh, the number that we wrote in the description is 80. Am I correct, Ruben? Yes. You had 80 watches go in and out of your collection, right? Yes. Which you reduced to four right now. Yes. What is your ideal number now today in your state of mind? Where do you want to go to? Uh, I don't really have an ideal number. Um, it's... Seven, one for each day? No, I think I w- it would drive it's me a crazy. Joke. It's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I think six, maybe. Okay, why? Uh, because when you have six, it's still sort of possible to rotate to a normal degree. Because what I do sometimes is I wear one watch for three days. Sometimes I mm-hmm. switch three times a day. Mm-hmm. But if I end up with 20 watches in my house, then I'm going to be switching multiple times a day. And it will just drive me insane. Funny. Okay. Interesting. Um, what's your grail watch? Can I cheat a little on this one? You can. Okay, so I split this up into um, attainable, mm-hmm. uh, into if I were to sell things and upgrade, and into an unattainable grill. Yeah, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> so an attainable watch for me would be uh, Sartori Biard. Again, again? Sartori Biard. Yeah. yeah, spell that. Oh, yeah. I know which one you mean. Yes, S-A-R. You speak French, so you said it so eloquently <laughs> in French, but say now in an English accent. Yeah, Sartori Biard. Yeah. Is that how you yeah, say yeah, it in English? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, S-A-R-T-O-R-Y. 
space B I L L A R D. Yeah. He makes amazing, complicated movements, yes. but very simple design. Yes, and he just um, got a deal with um, La Joupere for a different kind of movement, and I really like what he's doing. Doesn't he make that blue titanium as well? Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, How realistic will it come into your collection? Uh, well, it sort of depends because um, I'm going to assume that with the new movement, he's going to raise his prices. Mm -hmm. But uh, with the current price being around 3000 I could probably get that this year. Interesting. Okay. Um, the one where I would have to sell and upgrade would be um, a Torsty Lane. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Lane Watches. It's also an independent. It's, uh, his spell it, spell it. L-A-I-N-E. Mm -hmm. uh, his dials are just is, fantastic. And the movements. They are Irish or? Uh, he's Finnish. Finnish. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I really like what he's doing with the movements and with dials. I think it's one of the best independents you can get for under 10,000 right now. But uh, yeah, I would have to sell multiple watches in order to fund that. And then, you know, there's still... The waiting until it's done so uh, I would love to do it one day but uh, I would not do it now interesting if I understand your journey correctly you did go through the mainstream which I call Rolex Omega Breitling yeah. etc yes and you're very much in the niche even your grail watches are in niche <laughs> and this is not a judgment call yeah. this is an observation which I personally think is very cool what my question is, do you think it's mandatory to go to the mainstream to appreciate these hardcore niche indies? Um, do you no, need that I journey or no? No, but I think it helps. Um, there are people that uh, get into the hobby that already know in advance that they want something that's unique. Mm -hmm. um, but I think for most people, you sort of start at the bottom and then you build your way up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's important to experience everything that the mainstream market has to offer. Mm -hmm. And then um, you can appreciate the exclusivity of uh, indies even more. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't fully stepped away from mainstream watches yet. Uh, for example, the Anordain, if it were to go, then I would probably try to look for something like a Cartier Santos. Mm -hmm. um, That's because you saw Dan probably. Uh, no, the well, previous episode. In part, because uh, Dan and I went to the same get together. I think he yeah. also mentioned it when he was on here. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was someone with a Santos with a Guillaume style, mm. and that blew my mind. Interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. It's it's so funny that you guys are both you're more in the niche than him, but that you guys gravitate to the Santos, which I grew up with my dad wearing it in the eighties. Um, so it's, it's funny, it's interesting, and it's how trends come back every 30, 40 years. Yeah, and it's also um, in parts because I've always been into tool watches, and yeah. the best tool watch that Cartier has to offer yeah. is the Santos. It's, so. it's a pilot watch. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot, what a lot of people don't know, but the screws are there because it had a purpose. Yes. Back in the day. Interesting. Um, did you want to add anything to the Grail watch question? No, I still have the unattainable one. Yeah. Um, a Groenevel Principia in yeah. turquoise. Stunning. And uh, I don't think I will be able to afford that anytime soon. But uh, yeah, it's something I dream about. It's, uh, it's an amazing watch. Cool. Does it add 
that they're Dutch? Uh, no. I didn't know they were Dutch when I started getting into them. Funny. I saw the watch and, uh, you know, I instantly fell in love. It was incredible. I looked at the case back, then I saw the dials. Those were also amazing. And then five steps later, I figured out they were Dutch. Does it add, though? Uh, no, that? not really. For you, it doesn't? No. So that Holsten Richt is Dutch doesn't add to the story for you? Uh, no, his nationality doesn't add for me, but I do like that he's two train rides away. Yeah, okay. I like being able to uh, visit the place where I'm buying from. Yeah, interesting. Do you know already what's your next watch? You mentioned a few things. Yes, likely the Santos. Yeah. Do you have a wish list, which I call a wrist list? And do you even have a strategy when you buy now today? Uh, I do have a strategy now. And uh, I also have a wish list. Uh, I don't really adhere to that wish list as often as I would like. But um, yeah, the Santos, um, the Zenith El Primero, mm -hmm. the Tricolori version. Yeah. Um, yeah, so many independents that I will likely never try. Uh, Ophion is on my list. Mm -hmm. um, also, probably not attainable this year. But uh, they are watches that are always sort of on my mind, but that I don't do much with. Interesting. Oh, also, which reminds me of a watch that I should not have sold because it's also on my wish list. Uh, the Vertex M100. Mm. I, uh, I had the reissue of that. Cool. Yeah, I miss it. <laughs> you regret it? Um, not necessarily regret because I sold it to fund the whole thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, it goes back to the ex exclusivity part. Yeah. It's not a watch that I'm going to be able to buy back so quickly. Yeah. Back then I could have, but now that the United Kingdom has left uh, the EU, yeah. it's harder. Yeah. What have you learned from these sales? Did you adapt your strategy to that? Do you let um, things go less easy because um, of this or no? No, because I've had the experience and uh, in the end, if I would buy a watch again, I know it would leave at some point. It mm. would just be because I wanted to experience it again. But Interesting. Do you have a favorite brand? Um, I think it's a tie between Fortis and Holtinichs. I, uh, yeah? I really feel connected to both of those brands. Irrelevant of the fact if you own a watch or not. Uh, so as a brand, you can mention multiple brands. What are the ones that you really dream of? Those, yeah, those so out of what I own, those are my favorites. Yeah. But um, yeah, Groenefeld, out of the watches that I don't own, I think I'm really impressed by what they do. Um, I really like what uh, Rexep Rexepi does. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, also one of my favorites. Yeah, so it's Acrivia slash. Yeah. He has two brands. He's a young master watchmaker yeah. in Geneva. Interesting. No Patek. Eh. Eh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they look really nice. Uh, I liked holding one in person, but um, somebody showed me a vintage Aquanaut a while ago. And uh, yeah, it was a beautiful watch, but uh, then he told me what it went for and I just didn't like it anymore. Yeah. Let's see. What percentage do you put between passion and reason? So emotion versus Rachel? Yeah, I think it's all emotion. It's uh, because, uh, well, first of all, this hobby doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. So um, I would say the reason that I'm into it is 100% emotion, but my buying process has become a bit more systemic. Mm. 
I'm, I do try to be a bit more rational with my buying. Do you want to elaborate on that? Um, well, for example, with mainstream watches, I tend to buy those more quickly because I know that I'll be able to uh, sell them again uh -huh. if I don't like them for relatively close to the price that I bought it for. Yeah. But uh, if I splurge on micro brands or independents or anything niche, then I know I'm going to be losing a lot of money on it. Yeah. So for independence, I let it simmer for six months. Yeah. I do a lot of research within that time. And then I also try to spend a month not looking at it at all. Yeah. And if it's still on my mind then, then I buy it. Yeah, interesting. Good strategy. That's actually a answer to my last question for this episode. But maybe you want to give more tips because I'm actually very curious to your tip because you're relatively young. You've been collecting quite some time and big chunk of your life. Do you have a final tip to somebody who's new to the art of collecting your swatches? Yeah, to young people, I would mainly say, try not to let yourself be influenced by social media too much because um, people are showing amazing shots of grail watches everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I know it's uh, out of experience. I know that it's going to feel a bit weird because you're not in a position to buy those for yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, to really take into account that you still have a lot of time to spend collecting watches. So slowly building your way up and experiencing everything within your price bracket and then moving your way up, uh, I feel is the best way to really get into it. Mm -hmm. Also to experience everything because some people start in high end and then never go mm -hmm. towards the budget side of things anymore. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Also, experience over ownership, I would say. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to sell a watch if you've uh, had the experience and you want to try something new. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think those are the most important things. Excellent tips. I totally agree as well. It's something interesting you said, because you've mentioned you digested and absorbed a lot of info through Instagram. Um, the most of our guests prefer due to privacy, not to mention too many details about themselves. So we list their Instagram handles, but you just said, don't get influenced too much. Yes. So those that are new, how would you recommend them to absorb info where, or what do you think is more objective or more qualitative than these indeed uh, peacocking posts on Instagram, often ripped pictures or not even their own, or they borrow the Patek to show off the, uh, their dad's or uncle's grill watch. Um, yeah, I think a very big step is to first of all, do your own research because uh, a lot of people look for shortcuts. They go, um, for example, top 10 watches under a thousand, and then you end up on some website that has 10 sponsored watches around a thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, so I would suggest uh, signing up on a forum, for example, yeah. because um, other collectors are able to give you much more objective experiences than when you look at, for example, a place that reps a brand. Yeah. Um, I also appreciate a lot of watch magazines. I really like uh, Monochrome, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're also a bit more involved with independence, but that just happens to be something I'm into then. Yeah. Um, I like Fratello as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, on Instagram, certain handles work a lot better to find people that give information. For example, if you go for the handle uh, WatchFam, 
yeah. you will end up finding more collectors uh, than brands. Yeah. And uh, collectors are just like to show what they have to mm -hmm. the watch fan. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, a brand will probably use a hashtag such as uh, luxury watches for men, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think there's a very big difference in how the information is brought to you then. Yeah. So Instagram can be a very good source, but you got to be careful with how you filter yeah. your information. Yeah, good one. And you already mentioned it, but maybe I'll reiterate it. You give a lot of advice. So whomever has questions can reach out to you and DM you yes. on Instagram? Yes, absolutely. Great. And obviously, as we mentioned before, Ruben is part of the Red Bar crew. We have a lovely community in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and everybody is actually very friendly, approachable, and you can reach out to all the members, right? Yes. Amazing. Um, Ruben, thank you so much. Thank you I for really having enjoyed me. the chat. Um, amazing journey. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for sharing and thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our podcast on any platform you're digesting this episode. And if you have any feedback for us, please do share. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Art of Collecting Wristwatches by Ace Jewelers. This is the end of the podcast. Um, if you want to listen to more episodes, go to anchor.fm slash acejewelers. And don't forget to rate our series with five stars. Thank you and have a good one.